0: Uh, because it's so quiet and rural, uh, it's the ideal spot to mm. go missing. It's probably about two hundred fifty acres, totally. Yeah. This goes to the bine and stretches back up near the two rivers, two rivers meet up here, mm. uh, Kildare, Mead and Apley. All right, okay. It was uh, I left home at half past flew up and down here, and uh, the man found him, and he wouldn't come back to me. He'd normally run along 50 yards between the road and then sit in the middle of the road, he's two paws out and his head on it. And then get him here to where he is. Next thing he's and to get him a rocket. So I was calling, he went up that he this evening, calling and called and not wouldn't come back, not for fear. And uh, i had to bear myself through briars and bushes and everything and there it was, he was going round in rings.
1: He was only a pup at the time, was he? six months
0: old. He was running round in rings. And I said, what in the name is going on here? And uh, yeah, that's what it was. And they always have a stick. Yeah, uh, just poked just too, and it could, couldn't get to it, so I poked again, and the next thing I said, uh-oh.
1: It was still bright on the evening of September 2nd, 2016, when a man walking his dogs made a gruesome discovery in Rahan Woods, close to Carberry in County Kildare. Using a stick, poked at the ground and the brambles where his dog, Bobby, had circled, only to see a foot protruding from the undergrowth. Later, forensic experts would surmise that 24-year-old Philip Finnegan had died where he lay, in the foetal position, his remains decapitated and charred from an attempt to burn his body. Philip had been stabbed to death in a frenzied attack, His murder and torture, Gardy would later tell a court, happened the previous August the 10th, and he'd gone undiscovered in his shallow grave until that September night. So who was Philip Finnegan? And how did he come to such a brutal end at the hands of his one-time friend, Stephen Penrose? What happened in Rahan Woods? And how did a gangland feud end in such a remote place? Today I'm talking with Sunday World Deputy Editor Niall Donald about one of gangland's most brutal kills. And I consider what effects has such violence on society, on families, and on strangers who walk their dogs in lonely woods. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com.
2: In a lot of the, the most notorious murders in Ireland, um, the convictions have only been achieved because people walking their dogs or just taking a walk have come across um, uh, the remains of, of 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 people who've been murdered. There's obviously other cases where, where Gardaí have very strong sus- suspicion somebody has been killed, but the absence of, of a body being found means the case never comes to fruition. I mean, there are a couple of cases... Um, you know, a very high-profile murders where where just the fact that ra- randomly people came across the remains. For example, in the Elaine O'Hara's tragic murder, for which Graham Dwyer, possibly the most notorious murder trial really in in in, in of recent years, is serving a life sentence. But her remains were discovered by a by a dog walker. And um, similarly, I suppose uh, Patricia O'Connor, another one of those really high-profile murders. And um, Patricia Connor was was dismembered. Um, um, she'd lived in farnham and there were people serving sentences in connection with her death. Her remains were just discovered by somebody walking through and, uh, the Wicklow Mountains. It's very rare for somebody to be convicted of murder in the absence of a of a the remains of somebody being found.
1: Philip Finnegan had been missing for almost a month before a dog walker and his two pets came across a crime scene in Rahan Woods. While we often hear of such scenes bringing to a close the mystery of the whereabouts of an unfortunate victim, do we ever really consider the enormity of making such a discovery? Like, do we ever imagine what it would be like to become part of a chain of evidence in a frightening case involving gang violence?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a horrific find. I mean, uh, these things have long-lasting impacts on people. I mean, in The Sunday World, we had the... Uh, the, an interview with the people who found Patricia O'Connor's remains, um, and not dissimilar to the to the, the murder of Philip Finnegan. The body had been, you know, really dismembered, and 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 you know, it's clear that a, a, a gruesome find. Not to be disrespectful to anybody's remains, but certainly these are, you know, very traumatic. Uh, things for people to to uncover, but also, you know, they're important in the criminal justice system that these people then have to, that they, they are, the, the remains are found, it enables prosecutions. But you do see then the traumatic experience for people who are, you know, obviously just uh, have to go to court then, there has to be chains of evidence, they have to explain everything. And that, I think that can be a really, really difficult experience for for people, particularly in Cases involving gangland crime where witnesses, even if they're very incidental, certainly and justifiably fear for their own safety as a result. There's nothing as bad as looking for somebody uh, that can't be found. Mm.
0: And everybody's running here and running there and the parents and the kids and so where. I wonder where is he? All of a sudden you have a body. So that's okay, you have somewhere to put it and bury it and go and look at it, that's fine. Mm. But when you haven't got that body, you're in trouble. That's why I said I'd go forward and say, yeah, let it
2: off in march uh, 2010 we had in the sunday world we had a story about what was then called the young guns which were uh, the people associated with the Crumlin drimna feud these were guys in their just in their teens associating with either the brian Rattigan gang or the fat freddy gang and they were using bebo uh, bebo long gone now but they were using bebo to issue threats to each other and um, to slaggy jitter off, to post unflattering pictures. And Philip Finnegan was associated with, with that young Rattigan gang. And um, these are guys who were, you know, already started to amass convictions and um, become the subject of guard investigations and, um, you know, were involved in the drugs trade in a kind of very localised way. Similarly, people from the other side, uh, the Fat Freddy side, I suppose, were again, young guys who had access to weaponry, access to large amounts of drugs, were making money. And they had, even though they, you know, if you look back at, as we've talked about recently, Nicola, the the, the, uh, the Holiday Inn bust, which was 2001, if, if my memory serves me correctly, these guys would have been, you know, really, really young kids. But they had adopted that feud and were carrying it on really over social media, and it was a very new development at that stage because obviously social media was in its infancy. It was kind of shocking to see these people openly putting up these threats and so and you know linking themselves to these feuds. Uh, you know, little did we know that 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 social media will continue to play a huge part in the evolution of gangland in Ireland. So Philip Finnegan didn't have you know, major criminal records. But he was associated with a, a group of young guys who were operating in the in the south inner city who looked up to Brian Radigan as a kind of a hero figure. Brian Radigan obviously was in prison at that point, but, you know, it's routinely accepted that he continued to pull strings from behind prison bars. And Philip Finnegan got sucked in with that crowd.
1: Philip Finnegan may have been young, but he was no stranger to the brutal laws of gangland where it's often hard to separate friend from foe. He'd cut his teeth with the Brian Rattigan gang, who'd continued to drug deal despite the lengthy incarceration of the boss. By 2016, relations had soured between Finnegan and his former associates, with the young dad being accused of owing a drug debt. As tensions grew over the money, Stephen Penrose, one of Ireland's most dangerous criminals prepared for release from jail. He'd already killed a man. And now, his services were for hire.
2: Philip Finnegan would have been involved in the drugs trade. He would have had relatively minor convictions. He'd also had been facing uh, firearms charges, but uh, he had been cleared of them ultimately in court. But he was, he was, you know, very much associated with that Radican gang and he was at the core of that younger group However, when it comes to the drugs trade, the problem arises for these guys when something is caught, something goes wrong, and all of a sudden, uh, these people end up owning huge amounts of money to the upper echelons of the gang. And that, by all accounts, seems to have happened to Philip Finnegan. He was in a major debt for for, uh, drugs and came under pressure to pay it, was unable to pay it, I would imagine. And then uh, an example was chosen to be made of him by the upper echelons of the Ratican gang, despite the fact that he had, you know, such a long-term association with these people, um, had been loyal, had, you know, all of those things. Uh, And that's how he met his fate. But Stephen Penrose was one of these violent and erratic criminals That was willing to carry out these sort of violent acts on behalf of of his bosses in the Ratican Gang.
0: So, and was it up kind of like through these brambles like this? Yes. The Waggy Doggy, uh, I was up here doing his business. And you couldn't get Bobby back? No, not a fear. Bobby would not come back to me. My goodness.
1: Oh!
0: Right. Yeah. It's just here. Yeah, here, yeah. Now, here somewhere there is a, a two-foot square concrete slab we could be standing with all the brambles going over it. And this is where the action took place. So, what was here when you got here? Uh, this fellow was going around in rings. Yeah. And what I seen was, like, a hand or a, it was a foot. And I always have a stick. And I drove it in, it got not and took so it back here further. And that's what it was.
1: And it came up out of the ground a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just knew?
0: I knew it was a uh, bother, yeah. yeah. So
1: um, did you have your phone with you? Always. Oh, yeah. So you were able to find yeah, the location. Around.
0: But I left the dog's lead on the tree. Because mm-hmm. he was only a puppy at the time. And I walked back down, they put a stone at the edge of the road. But as I was walking down that, I was coming duskies. It was about, could be ten, quarter past nine. And I seen these two people coming in, and I said, I'm in trouble. Because I didn't know what was happening. So I walked and walked, and I said, let have the face of music. So the two boys, Bobby in particular, walked after your man and wagged his tail, and your man spoke. I recognized his voice, then I knew I'm okay. And the two boys said, guns on their shoulders. They were going shooting duck down in the wood.
1: And did you think they might have had something to do
0: with the... Of course, yeah. yeah. At the time, I didn't know what to think. We You were it's... so rattled, I'm sure. I was rattled. Yeah. Oh, your man said it to me. You rattled. I said, yeah. And he said, you found it. And I couldn't answer him. Mm. So I brought him up anyway, and his uh, partner works in the 999. So he rang her, and then that was opposite there. Um, yeah. About quarterly past 9 on the 2nd September, mm. Friday night.
1: Stephen Penrose, in many ways, isn't the type of person that regularly finds themselves drawn to the underworld. He's a guarder's son, and by all accounts, he would a privileged middle-class upbringing. However, his father has twice had to appear in court to give evidence for him. In both cases, he's been charged in relation to very brutal deaths.
2: If you look at compare the uh, upbringing of, of Philip Finnegan and and Stephen Penrose, they are quite kind of quite opposite. You can see that Philip Finnegan came from a, a certain part of the the city where drugs and and all of that organized criminality was was close to him, and um, you know got sucked in at a very early age. Uh, probably didn't know any better probably because his contemporaries were also, you know, getting involved in that lifestyle. But Stephen Penrose is one of those, although they are rare, they're not unheard of, the guys that seem to, have, that seem to almost go out of their way to become involved in organised criminality. And if their route into it is, is really quite obscure.
1: Back in 2010, Penrose was accused of the murder of David Charky and found guilty of his manslaughter. So, who was David Sharkey, and what happened to him?
2: David Sharkey was known to be involved in in criminality and had a low level involvement in the in the drugs trade. um but he fell fell of penrose and and really met a brutal end. The death of David Sharkey was carried out with kind of a level of violence that, Although you you know obviously murders occur all the time, but that sort of level of ferocity is is still quite uncommon. you know he was stabbed uh, 13 times with uh, 18 centimeter blade through the shoulder blade, also through the heart the stomach can deliver. again, like the Philip Finnegan murder, Penrose then disposed of the body or attempted to dispose of the body. In this case, he put the, the, the dead man's remains in the boot of a BMW and then drove to Dunsink Lane in Finglas where he planned to burn the remains to maybe, uh, you know, make it harder to be tracked down. However, in this occasion, he was, he was the guard. He followed him. i just came across him randomly. Um, on, uh, who happened to be on patrol in the area and uh, followed them to the halting site um, at which point Penrose fled the scene um, in court Penrose claimed that he had only he was just planning to steal some heroin from Mr. Sharkey um, as a result of his drug addiction which again became another you know excuse or whatever way you want to look at it again um, when it did come to trial. But you know there, there, he obviously was found uh guilty of the killing, in this case a manslaughter conviction and uh, not guilty of, of murder, which I suppose you know in this case it was judged that it wasn't premeditated or whatever. but of course, if he had been found guilty of murder and um, ultimately the 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 murder of Philip Finnegan uh seven years later may not have occurred. Two months after he'd he'd uh, finished his sentence for the Sharky manslaughter, he was arrested again in relation to a to a gun attack in Dunboyne and County Mead, in which shots were fired at a house in 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 an estate there. After the gun attack, Penrose and a and a and a woman fled to a house in County Kildare, where a fire was uh, deliberately started in the property. And um, and Gardaí were alerted to the fire, and arrived at the house. And Penrose and, and the woman who was with him were suffering from the effects of smoke inhalation. Um, and after, being, after he was ultimately discharged from the hospital, he was immediately arrested because of 19 rounds of ammunition and two shotguns were found at the scene of the fire. So he was sentenced to three years in prison uh, with the final two years suspended for this offence in March 2017. So this is, you know, he was straight out of prison. Straight back involved in dangerous and violent organised crime.
1: Fires seemed to be a thing with Penrose. An attempt had been made to burn the remains of Philip Finnegan, and one had been set around the body of David Sharkey, too. So when Niall tells me that the fire was deliberately started in that house, I wonder was there any evidence
2: about who had started it? And was it Penrose again? Uh, I think it was himself again and of course in in all the crimes that he served lengthy prison sentences for you see an attempt to destroy evidence, uh, an attempt to stop forensic investigations occurring but again all of them you see their level of impulsiveness, lack of ability to follow through with plans and always a reliance on on extreme violence to to deal with the problems that he faces.
1: That brings us to August 2016 when Philip Finnegan is very quickly reported missing by his mother Angela.
2: Yeah, so I mean he was he was straight away reported missing. So there's obviously concern when people involved in Gangland feuds are gone missing, but then again these people that are under under the watch of the guardian under the watch of rivals can uh, disappear out of the country for whatever reason. So there was I do remember the the missing notice coming in, uh, recognizing the name, but it wasn't immediately apparent that 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 he'd met a a, a violent end. So in the run-up to his death, Philip Fittingham had, as uh, Stephen Penrose's father gave evidence in court, that he had spent time with his son, Stephen Penrose, and, and Paul Penrose had, had seen them together. So straight away, uh, Stephen Penrose quickly became a suspect because of the contact they did had in, in, in the run-up to the murder, and um, he was arrested and questioned a number of times, um, and seems to have given absolutely contradictory accounts of his own movements Philip, Philip Finnegan's movements at some point seemed to have said he suggested Finnegan might have been murdered at other points suggested he was uh, abroad enjoying a Big Mac I think or, or he said at another stage he'd also given uh, contradictory accounts of his own movements however they had been pinned together through mobile phone evidence and um, so I think at that point, the Gardaí were, you know, they had one suspect in mind, and that was that was Stephen Penrose.
1: Penrose had actually just been released from Garda custody in early September after ten interviews with officers about the disappearance of Finnegan. With no body and no crime scene, they'd no reason to charge him. However, days later, the dog walker had made his find. Finnegan's remains were in a dreadful state of decomposition. But like most crime scenes, the one at Rahan Woods, where Finnegan had lain in a shallow grave, gave up its secrets and told a shocking story of the ferocity of the violence used to end his life.
2: He'd obviously suffered, a, I think it was described as a frenzied attack. Obviously, there's gangland murders, and you know, they, they leave a grieving family in each case, and they're all horrific. But um, the level of violence showed uh, to carry out an attack like that is it's still very, very shocking. Um, particularly if you consider that, as, as Stephen Penrose's father had said in court, these guys just a couple of days earlier had been speaking to each other like they were best friends and, you know, they had that personal connection and that, um, you know, it appears subsequently that Stephen Penrose's uh, had no particular... A personal gripe with Philip Finnegan, he'd merely done it because he was ordered to do it. So his his body had been, and I know it's distressing for the family, but his body had suffered severe um, uh, mutilation, really, um, and the decapitation, uh, you know, it's a particularly gruesome act.
1: Beside the body, there was a fork, a knife, a garden glove and a mobile phone clearly showing that Penrose had planned this murder and brought his tools with him to carry it out. It was strikingly similar to the killing of Sharky, who was stabbed 13 times in the back. And what followed was an attempt to burn his remains.
2: Yeah, so they they are quite remarkably uh, similar. Um, It was suggested to to Penrose at one stage during his his questioning by Gardy that he may have even uh, force Philip Finnegan to dig his own grave, um, though, of course, because of the passage of time, that wasn't either proven or disproven in court either way. Um, but again, it's you know, you know, uh, to, to shoot somebody from a distance is a very different thing than to, to stab them up close and repeatedly like that. It does take a particular type of mentality for somebody to be able to commit that that kind of violence on a on a person, particularly solely for what appears to be just financial gain.
1: So Penrose had been released by the time Finnegan's body was found. But what happened next?
2: So Stephen Penrose was ultimately re-arrested in November and was ultimately charged with murder and brought before the courts. During the trial, there was a lot of evidence given on behalf of the state. Some of it focused on a series of phone calls made from a cell in Port Leash Prison. The, the state put forward the, mo- the, the, the motive for the murder, which was to do with uh, money owed by Philip Finnegan to the broader Rattigan gang. Um, the person who he had spoken to, although the fo- there was a phone call, details of a phone call from Port Leach Prison, the person was not named. But um, it can't, you know it, it, it is known that that person was associated with the Rattigan gang. And um, that seems to have been the, the motive for the murder arranged from behind, behind bars. What happened then in the court beyond that was far from normal. Obviously, most of these gangland trials for murder, you know, they're very, the stakes are very high. It's, it's basically somebody's life is on the line, their freedom for decades. So m- normally, as you know yourself, Nicola, when you get in there, when those trials go ahead, you see the, the the suspect, the accused, never says a word, almost never gives evidence on their behalf, tend to sit quietly, tend to dress well for the most part, tend to control their demeanour, all of those things. Uh, but that just simply didn't happen in this trial. Stephen Penrose, I think it's fair to say, made a, a spectacle of, you know, which is a really horrific case for the Finnegan family to have to sit through and um, he fired his legal team twice he represented himself and I think in a, you know probably the most shocking bit of it was that he as the murder suspect while representing himself cross-examined uh, the mother of his victim uh, Angela Finnegan was subjected to to cross-examination by the guy who killed her son which was ultimately proven in court horrific ordeal. He also cross-examined the Gardaí, had an outburst in court uh, where he accused a guard inspector of lying. Then after his antics in court earned a rebuke from the judge, he then uh, refused to appear in court and represented him from a cell, didn't give himself uh, a closing speech. So as you know yourself and, and like over the years you talk to pe- the, the, the families of murder victims. I mean, it's they're so traumatized. doesn't matter what the circumstances are, the, the trauma of of the murder, but then also the trauma going through the court proceedings, however nice the court staff are, however nice the guard are, however nice all of that. Like, it's a deeply traumatic experience to have to turn up in court, relive the whole thing, and then also worry about, convi- is it going, somebody going to be convicted? All of that sort of stuff. That's hard enough anyway when there's a dignity and a a proper procedure to the proceedings. So for Philip Finnegan's family to be put through this, you know, I think in her own victim's uh, impact statement, she described it as um, being cross-examined in that way as torture. It was unusual, but um, you can only feel for the family who were very dignified and, you know, really... Philip Finnegan, obviously, we've spoken about the fact that he got sucked into these things as a young man and, and you know, certainly was on the Garda radar, but by all accounts was kind of a nice fella in his own way. Although he had been involved in things, you know, he was got involved at a very young age and obviously didn't have a chance to, to get out and to maybe find another life. He was also uh, a father himself his murder has left a, a devastating hole for that family and um, who I think spoke very well in his, on his behalf and under very extreme circumstances you know really kept their a dignity their dignity in the court. It cannot be easy under those conditions to have a feared criminal cross examining you and then for that family to have to go back and live within that community, you know, that's not easy and they were I think brave to 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 stand up to Penrose and give evidence.
0: And what about the dog walker? If I ever happened again, I would turn me
2: back and walk away.
1: Why?
0: No, never again would I ever get uh, owned own up to anything. I'd just turn me back and walk away from it. Why? Oh no, 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 no. Not with the justice system, listen the system, no. No, no, no. Not a It Was little. the
1: course experience yeah. bad?
0: I didn't know I was impressed with it. No, no, no. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be uh, no, I wouldn't be up there again. Never unless i'm up for a uh, tax evasion or something Other and that, what no.
1: could they have done could they have kept you behind I, the screen i wanted, I wanted behind the
0: screen i didn't want my name published or nothing mm-hmm. but you walked in there like a bullock to the mart and you do your piece you walk back out and there's three big dirty cameras facing you mm-hmm. and naming you and shaming you and telling you who it is mm-hmm. this is the one they found it name never i didn't want any of that stuff mm-hmm. never that's the reason why i'll never again do one for them never People just realise the effect and the trauma has come behind it. They never got a phone call from anybody to say, are you okay, do you need help, counselling? No, no, that doesn't happen. You're out there, you're on your own, you're on your own. Mm. You know, no, no. Not uh, very pleasant.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.